Let's pray together. Father, we want to pause as always and recognize the truth of what we just sang and what we just read. God, you have been so good to us and we're filled with so much gratitude because in the same way that this story in John chapter nine talks about a man who received his sight because you saw him. You were not blind to his blindness. In the same way, God, you have seen us. And you are not blind to our situation, our blindness, our need, which is why you came. You came to give us sight. As Paul says in Ephesians, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God made us alive. And so God, we thank you for that. We thank you for how you have been so faithful. You have worked in our lives and we are a result of you coming to us and enabling us to see. But God, we know that there are still people today that are blind to the truth about who Jesus is. And God, we ask you to open their eyes. And then there are those of us, God, who have trusted Jesus, but we're still blind to so many things that you're doing and the issues that we face, the evil in the world, God, are so many questions. And so God, help us to still believe while blind to so many things. Because that's what faith is. Faith is believing while blind. And so God, I pray that you would open our eyes now as we see and read and hear and listen to your word. God, I pray as always you'd help me to preach it in a way that first and foremost honors you and then is helpful to us. So we ask you to bless this moment. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've got a Bible, you can open up to John chapter 9. We got back into the gospel according to John last week. Uh, and if you were here, you heard the first part of the story. But if you weren't, I'll recap it quickly for you. But John chapter 9 is a story. The entire chapter is about Jesus healing a man that was born blind. And we saw in the first 12 verses last week about his blindness, what Jesus did to overcome his blindness and how he did something that was quite odd and strange. And, and I've been using the word ridiculous, not in the sense that Jesus does ridiculous things, but on the surface, a lot of times it might feel ridiculous to us because God literally spat on the ground. And I'm not going to make, you know, the noise of what it requires to do that again, because that once was enough, all right? Um, but he spits on the ground, and he makes mud, and then he puts it on a blind guy's eyes, and then tells him to walk. And not just walk, but walk downhill from the edge of the temple down to the pool of Siloam, and he can't see. And now the dude's got mud on his eyes. 
And you just got to imagine everyone looking around him. They were like, what is up with this? I mean, that is just crazy. I mean, think about it. He, he had mud. He could have just like wiped the mud off and then just sat there and begged for someone to bring water. But the guy actually did it. He actually exercised faith while he was blind. And again, this story is about blindness, but it's operating on multiple levels. And we'll get a little bit more in that today and then a little bit more next week because every time Jesus does a miracle, anytime God does anything, it's always operating on multiple levels. And so the story was about this guy that was blind who has now received his sight, but it's not just about him. It's also about other people, and that's what we're gonna see today in verses 13 through 34, who think that they are not blind. But as we get to the end of the chapter in the next week, you're gonna see that the story opens with the blind guy and ends with blind people. And we have to make sure that we're not in that category and that we believe. So let's go verse 13. I'm gonna read a little bit and then I'll stop and we'll talk about it. So now that's what's happened prior to. And now we're gonna see a whole new group of people that are entered into the story in verse 13. It says, they, those are his neighbors, the blind guy's friends, brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. So this is now the second time he's been asked. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. That's what happened. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. He put mud on, I washed them off and now I see. Verse 16, some of them said to him, or some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. You can tell religious people when they start talking weird when they talk. If you hadn't been around religious people, you, you don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm just saying you have missed out on some good acting. And I'll never forget, I didn't grow up in church, but then when I started going to church and then I would hear people talking one way outside the church, I'd hear them one way talking inside the church. And, and the best is when they would get up and pray. They, they got all up into their spiritual voice. Or, or when they would preach and they would get all guttural like that, like, this man is not from God. It's all right to laugh. Now look at this, why? For he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. Now I've already kind of mentioned this and I obviously I did it on purpose because I'm not trying to make fun of religious people. I'm not trying to make fun of people who even want to take God seriously. That's not what I'm trying to say. But, but we're gonna build a case today or the story is going to, and we're just gonna try our best to see it, is that what we think godliness is or how we attain it can be far different because godliness is on the surface not this outward external thing. And that's how these Pharisees are judging Jesus. And they're pointing out some things that they are divided on. Now, it's interesting, this word here, division, is literally the Greek word schisma. It's where we get our English word, you might guess, schism. You guys are smart. 
It means to separate, to tear. The idea is, like literally, if you tear something, you just created a schism or a gap. And so they are divided. And the reason why they are divided is because they are judging Jesus on this external metric of how he keeps the Sabbath. And they totally miss like a lot of religious people did, and, and to a degree still do to this day, the point of the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath is a big deal. It's in the top 10. And what I mean by that is it's in the 10 commandments. And, and the, the law simply said this, work for six days, rest on the seventh day. Now, I, I like to point this out often because, again, people misread the Bible all the time. They look at the Old Testament as just law and the New Testament as just grace. But you have to understand when God gave the law. He didn't give the law until after the Exodus. In fact, it's found in Exodus chapter 20. And so the point is, God didn't give the law to the nation of Israel. I mean, they weren't even a nation yet. They were just a people group. He didn't give them the law until after he had already exercised grace, until after he had already passed over their sins. And here's what you have to understand. Religious people have sins too. The people of Israel had sins. They needed a lamb to be shed, the blood to be put on the doorpost so that God would pass over their sins. He would see the blood and he would judge the lamb in their place. It's not like they were without sin and it's not like they were awesome at keeping the law. Why? Because they didn't even have it yet. They didn't even have the law. So here's what we have to understand. We have to interpret the law through the lens of grace. And what I mean by that is this. We have to interpret the law as a means of grace from God to us to tell us, hey, if you live like this, you will be blessed. Not you are blessed because you live like this. And what that means is simply this. There are not those who God loves more because they keep the law, and those that God loves less because they don't. Because Romans says, none of us keep the law. None of us. All have sinned. All have fallen short. And when you look at the law, the 10, it's not like it's some like magnum opus of law keeping that you look at it and you're like, that's impossible to keep. It's basic stuff. Now, don't hear me. I'm not knocking it, but what I'm saying is we tend to think of God's law as it's some like albatross around our neck. We're like, there's no way I can do that. And God is just the God of rules. You know, he's like a mean parrot. Just telling me what I can't do. That's not what he's doing at all. If you go back to the law, you have no other gods before me, no images, no, you know, craven, Im- no, not craven images, no, no idols, you know, honor your father and mother, keep the Sabbath, don't kill people, don't try to take your neighbor's wife, that kind of messes up the community, <laughs> right? I mean, you look at the law and you're like, really? I mean, this is basic stuff, right? Basic but they turned something that was meant to be basic and watch this, a blessing into more rules. Into what you can and can't do when it's considered work. 
Sabbath from a Jewish perspective is the seventh day, which is sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. Sunday, which is still true in our calendars, is the first day of the week. And so they moved church, if you will, in the New Testament to Sunday because it was the Lord's day. But typically, the gathering would have been on the Sabbath day or the seventh day. And there's still some churches that meet on on that day. And that's fine. It's not like that's a bad thing to do. Although historically, from a church perspective, it was moved to Sunday because that's when he rose again on the first day. But the point is not getting all legalistic about what day and how it's done and to understand this. You're not a slave anymore. That's why he told them to, you're not a slave anymore. See, when they were in Egypt, they were slaves. They had to work all the time, 400 years. They were slaves. They had no choice to rest, but now they can which it still speaks volume to us today because so many of us, we don't understand it. We're just as enslaved. We're just as enslaved by the busyness. We bring work home all the time. This is why we talked about, you know, during Abide, having that groove, having that rhythm of, of, of taking those things away and reminding ourselves we're not robots, we're humans. We have to build into our life rest. See, that was the point of the law. But now watch this. Religious people are trying to determine what God can do on the day that he made. Here's how crazy it gets up in Israel. And I hope we have a chance to go back there soon. But on Sabbath, what a lot of times happens, and I got to see this, and it was really amazing. Families will literally rent out hotel rooms on Friday and Saturday every week, and they will go stay there so that they're not at home. They're kind of, it's like a mini vacation every week. And there's certain things they can eat. There's certain things they can't eat. But on that day, on Saturday, what we call Saturday, or they call Shabbat or Sabbath day, literally, they think that if you press the button of an elevator, it's work. So on Sabbath, they have what they call a Sabbath elevator that stops at every floor, nonstop. Because to get on the elevator and press a button, God is mad about. And that's, if you don't observe it, that's the wrong elevator to get on. Right? It's it's like when you get into an elevator and you need to go to floor 50 and some little snot-nosed kid comes in and presses all the buttons. And you're like, this is the seventh level of hell that I just entered, (laughs) right? It's like that. I gotta go to floor 45 and I'm on floor two. Word of advice, get off that elevator and go to the non-Sabbath elevator and press a button because God doesn't care. (laughs) But, But don't hear, I'm not making fun of them. I'm just saying it's ridiculous what we determine it's, a, it's ridiculous how we judge who's close to God or not. And Jesus didn't break any Sabbath laws, biblically speaking, because the Sabbath law allowed for someone to be healed. Because God, even though he rests on that day, is not the kind of God that's like, I can't heal you today, come back tomorrow. So here... What's going on here? They are divided 
over man-made religious issues. And you know one thing I don't hear in this story at all? Other than by the blind guy. No one's got any joy. No one has any joy over the fact a guy just got his sight back. There's no amazement. There's no wonder. There's no celebration with the people of God. Like, what? He was blind from birth, and now he sees? And and I told you last week when I did my calisthenics on stage, I was talking about the blind guys. Like, guys, it's me. It's me. I am the one who can see now. And now you got all the religious people who are like, I don't know. There's great division over them. I just like to point this out. The devil loves division. The devil loves division. I don't just say that because it alliterates, but it makes my point. Because God loves multiplication. And the very first command in the Bible that God gave to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and what? Anybody know? Multiply. Now you got to say it in your best Barry White voice. Be fruitful and multiply. Because God is romantic. It was his idea. It was his idea to bring man and woman together, yet the world acts like they're the ones that got it all figured out. It was God's idea. God is into multiplication. He is into humans making babies, and then he is into those humans making those babies disciples, which is why he says in Matthew 28, after the resurrection... All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Jesus is into making. He's into multiplying. He is into multiplying the goodness of God, the joy, the celebration that happens when one sinner repents. Jesus said that in John 15, in the parable of the good... uh, not the good, the prodigal son, which is not a story about one son, it's really a story about two sons and ultimately three sons because Jesus is the son. And, and I preached on that before. You can go back and look at that. But the point simply is this. Jesus says, there is more joy in heaven over one person that repents than 99 who don't need to. And, and the point of it is, is they think they don't need to because they're so righteous in how they follow God. And I don't know if you've grown up in church. I had the awesome privilege of not for the first decade of my life. And then second decade I did. And it amazed me how many religious rules we created. And yet there wasn't much joy in the house of God over sinners coming to Jesus. And don't you know that this guy's like, why are y'all arguing over whether or not God can do this and just see that he did do it? I was blind. Now I see. That's all I know. And then look at what they ask him. Verse 17. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said he is a prophet. We'll get into this more in just a second. But it's important to hear the question that they ask him. 
They're divided amongst themselves. And then they ask him, but, but what do you say? What do you say about him? And this is the crux of the question. Because at the end of the day, watch this, we can all be divided in all kinds of ways. Again, I told you the devil loves division. The devil would love nothing more than the church of Jesus to be divided over politics, to be divided over race, to be divided over doctrinal differences, and never get around to asking the question, but who is Jesus? Who do you say that he is? Because if the devil can keep people divided over all the other issues, then it keeps us detracted from the one issue. What do you say about Jesus? There's a quote that I love, and I have it here on the screen by Ada Betozier. It says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing. I didn't say that other things aren't important. I'm not saying politics is not important. I'm not saying, you know, defending truth in other areas is not important. But what I'm saying is, is nothing is as important as what we think about when we think about God. Who do we say he is? Now the story goes on, verse 18. The Jews did not believe that, they, that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he, not see, how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. Now, at this point in, in the story, you might think, man, these, these parents are like are empowering their son. They're like, that is great. And there does have to come a point in time in parenting, right, where we have to let our kids stand on their own. We have to let our kids defend their faith on their own. We have to let our kids own who Jesus is on their own. We can't always answer for them. You know, if we're calling our kids employers about something that went wrong, we got a problem, Houston. They got to call. They got to own it. They got to do it. And so when you read to this point, you're like, oh, good on them parents. They're not helicoptering, you know, answering questions. For, ask him. But then John gives us a commentary, and it's in parentheses because this is John adding into the story, not like he's adding into the Bible, but what he's doing here is he's telling us why they answered that way. Verse 22, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue, or yeah, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said to him, or said, he is of age, ask him. Oh, so now we see this is not a good parenting decision. This is a parenting fail. Why? Watch this. Because they were more concerned about their social status with this group of people 
than they were over the status of their son's soul. And this is not the point of the message, but this is why I like preaching through the Bible because it just makes you deal with things. So a little side note here. We as parents are called to stand up, stand in the gap for our children. To not throw them under the bus at the altar of our social standing. And that has gotten harder and harder and harder to do. You know, we have seen parents around the country start to stand up and get more involved, and I think that's great. You may not think it's great, but I'm not talking politically here. I'm just making a statement is that things have shifted long ago in our culture, and yet parents didn't pay attention. And we as parents are called to pay attention to what is going on in the hearts and minds of our children. And the worst thing that we can do as parents is put our kids out in front of the firing squad and be like, I don't know, ask them. And our children know that. They know when we're afraid to stand up for truth. And so guess what that builds into them? They might be afraid to stand up for truth. And as a parent, I say this often, it's so much like, pastoring, and, and my job as a pastor is to prepare you to know who Jesus is and then to walk with him. And the same way, my job as a parent is to help my kids know who Jesus is and to walk with him. And there's so many things that I have to take the lead on in that. And those of us that are fathers, I would say, it is primarily our responsibility to take the lead on that. It amazes me at times, because both of my kids play sports, it amazes me how we as parents can be so consumed by sports but not care about spirituality. Well, I gotta make sure they get a college education. Well, most things tell us now if they go to college, it actually destroys their faith. Because they go to college and they are really like reprogrammed into how to think like the world. And yet we put so much hope and stock on college. It's like Alan Iverson when he was talking about practice. We talking about practice, man, practice. And every coach is like, well, practice makes perfect. And we said, no, 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 that's not actually true. Practice doesn't make perfect, practice makes permanent. And there's so many parents when their kids get to college, they wonder why in the world is my kid walking away from God? Because you didn't practice it. And it was made permanent in them. Don't be like the blind man's parents. Look at verse 24. So for the second time, this is now the third time in total, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. That's, that's a way of saying, like, in our court system, swear to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Listen to the emphaticness with which they speak. We know. 
This man is a sinner. Verse 25, he answered, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. Listen to the humility in his voice. I don't know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. I don't know. I don't know who this man is. I don't know where he is. I've never seen him before. But this is all I know. One thing I do know, I was blind. Now I see. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. We don't have to know everything, but we must know one thing. We don't have to know everything, but we must know one thing. And that one thing is this, that I used to be a blind beggar and Jesus made me see. That's all I know, man. And here's what's crazy. And I've been around church again long enough to see this. There's a lot of people in the orbit of Jesus who know a lot about him, but they don't know him. They know a lot about him. They have studied a lot. And, and this is where, and I joke about this, but I have to apply this to myself first. I've been to college. I have a bachelor's degree in communication and a minor's in psychology. I told you a few weeks ago, it's because I know it's going to be communicating to people with messed up minds. So I thought I should study those two things. And so I did. Then I went to seminary and I got a master's degree in divinity. That means I have mastered divinity, y'all. <laughs> I've mastered it. And now I'm going back to get my doctorate because I love learning. And so don't hear me not saying something or don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we shouldn't study. But let me apply it to you like this. You know, we live in a world today where you can know a lot about somebody because we live in what is called the information age. I mean, knowledge is doubling so fast now. We have access to so much information that we never had before. So we can know a lot about stuff. But just imagine that you're in Publix and you're you know, shopping, just doing your deal or wherever you go, Kroger, Walmart, I don't care. And then somebody walks up to you and then they start espousing to you all this stuff they know about you. They know your age, they know your height, your weight, who you're married to or not married to, they know your job, they know your social security number, they know where you work, they know your favorite sports team, they know the car that you drive, they know the air pressure in your tires. Like they know all this about you. And you're just sitting there listening to them say all this about you and you're like, but I don't know you. What would you call that person? A creep, right? a stalker. That's what you would call them. And here's what's crazy. People can know, do you, I don't know if you realize this, but right now we can purchase information about you. And it's amazing how much we can find out. It's it'll blow your mind. And here's the crazy part. Mostly because we've told them. We've given all these identifying things away for free when we 
clicked, I agree to those terms and conditions that we never read. If someone came up to you and said that, I hope you would dial 911 and be like, I am in the presence of a stalker. Please. Or, or do some karate on them or something, right? Run. Now let's apply this. Jesus said in the last day, there will be those who will come up to me and say, I know you. I did this and I did this and I did this and I did this. And Jesus is gonna say, depart from me for I never, what? Knew you. See, a lot of y'all are stalkers of Jesus. Y'all are creeps. And I just gotta tell you, <laughs> playing church is a lame hobby. Like for real. There's a lot of people who come to church to build their business, to be a good standing member in the community. And that's gonna become less and less, by the way. Which is one of those things that I get weirdly excited about. People are like, the world's going to, you know, H-E double hockey sticks in a, in a hit. I'm like, yeah, it is. I've never been more excited. Like, what? What? Yeah. Because now the real people who know Jesus got to stand up. You can't play anymore. You can't be fake about it anymore. All those stalkers of Jesus. And think about this. This guy, he is standing in the presence of people who know everything about God. But they don't know him. And the worst thing in the world we can do, listen to me, church, is base intimacy with God on knowledge about God. See, a lot of churches build their discipleship systems on what they know. They treat it like schooling. You have to know this, know this, know this, know this, know this, know this. Okay, you can know all this, but not know him. And this is the greatest danger, by the way, to my soul. I can know a lot about Jesus. I can preach a lot about Jesus, but not know Jesus. And that's why one of the reasons I love this story, because this guy, he's like, listen, I don't know a lot. But one thing I do know is I was blind and now I see. That's what I know. <laughs> see, there's a lot of people who've been, <laughs> uh, I don't know why I get redneck when I start talking, but they've been Christians their whole lives which is impossible. That's not possible. You are not born Christian. You are born again Christian. Now, I'm not saying it can't happen early. We had a precious young boy at this gathering in Canton last week who was six years old get baptized. And one of my heroes in the faith, John Piper, was saved at six years old. It can happen early. But it has to happen at some point, and that point wasn't at birth. So 
We've created a lot of churches who know a lot about Jesus, who know a lot about God, and one of the telltale signs that they don't know God is that there's no joy in that house over people who are repenting. There's no joy about sinners coming to God because they know a lot about him, but they don't know him. Because those who know that they were blind, yet now they see, rejoice when other blind people can see. See, here's what I need you to understand. There's a lot of things that we will be, but we will be nothing more and nothing less than a blind beggar who believed Jesus. That's what we know. And, and you wanna know why a lot of people don't come to Jesus? Because they can't admit that they were blind. They can't be honest enough to say out loud, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to get happy. I don't know how to fix my marriage. I don't know. I'm blind. But one thing I do know is that Jesus came and gave me sight. See, don't miss the humility in the blind guy's voice and the arrogance in those who claim they can see. We know. And look how it goes on. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Now, it's about to get a little snarky up in here. But I got to admit, I kind of like it. He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Like I already told you twice. You want me to say it again? And then listen to this. And they reviled him saying, you are his disciples, but we are the disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as far as this man, we do not know where he comes from. You know, earlier they said it comes from God. This man can't come from God. That is a preposition of source. And so what they're saying is God can't be this guy's source. Moses, we know, but this guy, we don't know. <laughs> now listen to this. I just love this. Verse 30, the man answered, why? This is an amazing thing. Why? Isn't that special? It's an amazing thing. Look at this. You do not know where he comes from? What? what, what you don't know something? Bless your heart. <laughs> you don't know? Again, I don't know if you read the Bible this way, but you should. Like, I can't wait to meet Jesus. I can't wait to meet the Father. I can't wait to meet the Spirit. I can't wait to meet Paul and all these heroes of the faith. But I can't, we don't even know this guy's name. And I can't wait to meet him and ask him, what was it like? What was it like? And, and, 
Let me keep going because I got I to read. It says, he, the man answered, it's amazing. You don't know where he comes from and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. Verse 33, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us and they cast him out. (laughs) Think about this. The man has never seen the temple. He's never seen Jerusalem. He's never seen his parents. He's never seen blue skies. He's never seen mountains and oceans. Never seen them. And he gets dragged back inside with religious people that are questioning what he sees and he's having to stare at them. Don't you know that this guy was like, thank you for kicking me out. I got stuff I gotta go see. I ain't seen none of this yet. They cast him out. And they say, you're an utter sin. You're gonna teach us? And don't miss this. When it references they cast him out, that word there is the same Greek word, ekbalo, which means to throw or cast out, literally, is the same word that is used in other places to reference casting out or driving out demons or casting out and driving out social outcasts and also casting out or driving out people into hell, darkness, judgment. So they didn't just drive him out of their presence and their minds, they were driving him out of the presence of God. They were casting him out. And the reason why I'm stressing this, because if we're not careful, in our arrogance, we can drive out people too that God is drawing in. Jesus went to this man. And you're gonna see this next week. He came back to this man when he heard he was cast out. Because Jesus is not too busy for a blind beggar. The religious people were. Because it exploded their categories. And here's what I need us to understand, what I need to understand. God will not fit into your categories. People say, well, I don't want to put God in a box. You think you can actually do that? Thank you for the nicety, but you can't do that. Who are you? People say, well, I just can't understand God. Well, you have an eight-pound mass in, in this skull called a brain. You think God is confined to that? 
I don't know about you, but I want a God that I can't understand. Because he, if he is limited to my understanding, we all in trouble, y'all. I want a God who I can't figure out, that I don't know what he's always doing or why he's always doing it. Because if I knew that, then I would be God. And there's a lot of people who quit walking with Jesus because they're blind to something and they say, well, I, if I can't see that, then I can't believe him. To which I try to lovingly respond back to people. Give me a better solution. I would rather worship a God that I am still blind to so many things but I know that he's good. And how do I know that he's good? Because I was blind and he came and found me. See, we worship a God church that busts out our categories and here's what I'm trying to stress to you. There will be a lot of things that you and I won't know, but you better know one thing. Because God in his sovereignty, will come and he will strip you bare, watch this, of all your religious pretense. That he somehow owes you something. That you worshiped him your whole life and he gave you something that you deserved. Life is not fair. It's not but neither is God. And before you pick up stones to throw me and I gotta do ninja moves to get out of here like Jesus, listen to me. When I say God is not fair, here's what I'm saying. He owes you nothing good. Nothing. The only thing he owes you is judgment. The question is not why do bad things happen? The question is, why in the world would God come into it? Why would he come into the bad? Why would he let the bad kill him? Why would God sacrifice himself? And what I'm saying is, if you don't have that as the bedrock of your belief system, you will walk away from Jesus. And you will come up with some religious rules as to why you're justified in doing so. Unless you can come to this conclusion, Jesus will never cast me out. Let me give you these last couple verses in John chapter six. You don't have to turn there. I'm just gonna read it because I'm gonna make this last point and then we're done. Jesus in talking to the crowds after he just performed another miracle said to them, look at this. John 6, verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have, what's that? Seen me. Remember, this is a story in John 9 about blindness. You've seen me and yet you don't believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never, what's those last two words? Cast out. I'll never cast out all who come to me. Church, there's a lot of things I don't know. 
But one thing I do know, that if I'm in Christ, he'll never cast me out. Because my salvation is not based upon what I do for him and keeping these rules. My salvation is based upon what he did for me. I was blind and now I see. So he'll never cast me out. Jesus came for those who can admit they're blind. And watch this, are not like the blind man's parents who were so worried about being cast out of the social order that they wouldn't stand in truth with their son. See, at the end of the day, we're either gonna be like the blind man who doesn't care if we get cast out by the groups of the world because Christ will never cast us out. Or we're like the blind man's parents who are more concerned about social groups casting us out. And so we don't stand with Christ. And the Bible says, if you didn't confess me before men, I will not confess you for my father. See, at the end of the day, there's only two categories of people. Those who were blind and God made them see. And those who thought they could see, but in the end are blind. And all I'm saying is, there better be one thing you know. And that one thing is that God came for you. And you just can't get over it. There's a lot of things in my life I'm proud of. And there's a lot of things in my life I'm ashamed of. But the one thing I just can't get over is that he saved me. I can't get over it. He hijacked my life. Why? I'm nobody special. And so I'll sing forever about the goodness of God because he came to me. And that's the one thing I know. And there may be some of you today that need to have that assurance, but then there may be some of us that you need to be reminded that we too can't be the people who cast out those that God wants to draw in as if somehow we deserved it and they don't. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gospel that you came to earth and you put on flesh and you dwelt among us in the person of your son And you traded places with us. You took on our sin. You gave us your righteousness. You enabled us to see. There is no story like it, God. 
And God, I pray for those today that maybe have never been saved. One, because they thought they weren't blind. They're really smart. They know that there's no God. But they have a problem, and that problem is death. It will beat even the smartest of people. But God, then there's also people that today think that they're not too smart, but they've done too much. That there's no way you could love a blind beggar like them. Because they've messed it up. They're so not holy. And God, that's what makes the gospel so amazing is it works with the arrogant and it works with those that are downtrodden. Because all of us have sinned. All of us are blind beggars that need Jesus. And so God, I pray right now for those who've never trusted in Jesus, that they would. No one looking around or talking here as we close, if you've never trusted in Jesus, if you don't know that one thing then right now you can. The Bible says, faith comes by hearing. When you hear, you confess. So you can pray. You don't have to do it out loud and confess. And it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me. That you sent your son, Jesus, to save me. I ask you to open my eyes to the truth about who Jesus is. I believe. Would you give me sight? I'm trusting in Jesus alone to save me. Please forgive me of my sins. Again, no one looking around or talking, but if you just prayed to trust Jesus, we simply wanna know that. So if you wouldn't mind, just lift up your hand so we can see that. Thank you. We got men and women gonna walk around, put a gift in your hand, and when they do, you can put it down. But then those of us who've trusted in Jesus, but we've forgotten that we are nothing more and nothing less than a blind beggar who's believed Jesus. And our job now is not to police everybody else's holiness. But our job now is to just tell people about the guy who opened our eyes and celebrate when he does it in someone else. This is why Jesus so closely related loving God with loving your neighbor. We only love God to the measure of which we love our neighbor. And so when we look out into the world, may we be reminded that they're just blind people who need Jesus. 
We're not better than them because we were them. And beg God to somehow leverage your life to bless them so that they'll no longer be blind. May we never become arrogant over the fact that we see. The fact that we see is a gift of God. God, I pray that our church would be the kind of church where we celebrate and rejoice over blind people seeing and that we would use the gifts and talents that you've given us to bless other people, to be like this blind man who just can't wait to tell people about the guy who opened his eyes. We celebrate just like heaven does over one sinner who comes to faith. And help us to love our neighbors well, to be the type of people that go out and bless the blind. We ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen.